is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, You know, when you come under attack from different quarters, you've got to make a decision. And that's whether to engage. And they're very strategic about these things. And I've been sitting back. People have sent me things. Attacked by the strangest people. Making allegations of which they know Nothing. And there will be a point at which I return fire and I unload. But I will wait. I've been doing this a very, very long time. I've practiced law a very, very long time. I have fought bullies a very, very long time. And just because some people get on TV or radio and rant and rave, make allegations. I will bide my time. Let me just leave it at that. But the time will come. Now, I've thought long and hard about how to approach this today. I see a piece here that Bernie Sanders wants federal jobs for all. Hasn't quite figured out what he means by that, but he believes that the federal government should provide federal jobs for everybody. Anyone who doesn't have a job, federal government. Bernie Sanders believes in free college for everybody. Anybody who wants to go to college. Hasn't quite explained that, but that's what he wants. Bernie Sanders believes in free health care for all. Everybody should have access to a Medicare-type universal government-run health care system. Bernie Sanders believes every family should have family leave. Bernie Sanders wants to expand Social Security while it's slowly going bankrupt. Now, Many of you listen to this and you say to yourselves, this is nuts. This is an impossibility. But it's an agenda that is very popular among a significant portion of our citizenry. Bernie Sanders got 45% of the vote in the Democrat primary. He's well into his 70s. He's an old red from Vermont, originally from New York. When you read his past stuff, I mean, he's way out there. So what's going on? So I decided, let's dig a little bit more deeply. Let's not bang, bounce around like ping pong balls from website to website. Let's, let's take a little bit of time with this, as you would expect with me. Well, obviously, part of the problem is we are completely unmoored from our founding principles completely unmoored from the notion of limited 
government. Completely unmoored from the notion of private property rights, individual success. We're unmoored from our constitutional system, which places significant limits on the federal government in order to protect the individual. There are people in this country who believe that liberty comes from government. They believe that liberty comes from government programs, welfare, entitlements, redistribution of wealth. And therefore, they fight for more and more programs, more and more redistribution of wealth. So they have it upside down. They believe that capitalism and limited government create tyranny. Whereas big government and programs and heavy taxation and regulation create liberty. And where do they get these ideas? Why is Bernie Sanders so popular? And he is. Federal jobs for all, free college, free health care, family leave, expand Social Security, and I'm just getting started. Comes down to this concept of liberty and indoctrination and propaganda. We touched on this subject about a year ago. But I think we need to touch on it again in a rather fulsome way. So tonight when you leave this radio program, you walk away with something that you won't walk away from any other radio program with. Some background on what's going on. There was a great philosopher, really. He almost backed into it, quite frankly. And his name was Isaiah Berlin. Lived a long time, 1909 to 1997. Born in Russia. Fled to Britain. Political theorist, philosopher. And he wrote a short essay and was the basis of a speech he gave on this idea of liberty. And he came up with two categories of liberty. Positive liberty and negative liberty. And don't think of them as it sounds, the modifier. Positive liberty is not positive. Negative liberty is not negative. By positive uh, liberty, what Berlin meant was the possibility of acting, or the fact of acting, in such a way as to take control of one's life and realize one fundamental purpose. Negative liberty is usually attributed to individual agents, positive liberty, and that sort of thing. And what these have evolved into, the case of positive liberty, that positive action needs to be taken, not so much by the individual, but by institutions, by government, by politicians. To convey liberty on individuals. Negative liberty is individual liberty. That individuals have a, a circle, as, as uh, de Tocqueville put it, a circle of liberty that surrounds them. That is not to be evaded. They are not to be molested. So these were the two concepts of liberty that Berlin spoke about. 
And he explained that studies about politics and philosophy in our colleges and universities spring from, he wrote, and thrive on discord. Discord. Someone may question this on the ground that even in society of saintly anarchists, he wrote, where no conflicts about ultimate purposes can take place, political problems, for example, constitutional legislative issues, might still arise. So there must be constant discord. He says, where ends are agreed. So in other words, he's saying there's constant discord, 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 but they agree on the ends. They agree on the, on the ultimate theory, on the ultimate ideology. You agree on the ultimate ideology. Where ends are agreed, he wrote, the only questions left are those of means. And that's where the discord comes in. And these are not political, but technical. That is to say, capable of being settled by experts or machines, like arguments between engineers or doctors. That is why those who put their faith in some immense world-transforming phenomenon, like the final triumph of reason or the proletarian revolution, must believe that all political and moral problems can thereby be turned into technical issues. And, of course, this is the left. This is the meaning of Engels' famous phrase about replacing the government of persons by the administration of things, quote-unquote. And the Marxist prophecies about the withering away of the state in the beginning of the true history of humanity. This outlook is called utopian by those for whom speculation about this condition of perfect social harmony is the play of idle fantasy. Nevertheless, he said, a visitor from Mars to any British or American university today might perhaps be forgiven if he sustained the impression that its members lived in something very like this innocent and idyllic state for all the serious attention that is paid to fundamental problems of politics by professional philosophers. So, what's he saying? The people who promote this ideology are promoting an abstraction. And yet, they believe there can only be one answer. You can fight over the means, but there's only one answer. What is that answer? A massive centralized government run by masterminds. Progressive masterminds. And where do these ideas come from? Berlin said they come from academics and intellectuals. He said that people ignore the academics and intellectuals at their own peril, since it is they who devise and develop the philosophical and political notions upon which politics is practiced. And politics, in turn, is the means by which institutions govern and affect society and the individual. So Berlin exhorted that not enough attention is paid to this debate. And the debaters, despite the fact that the outcome will determine the future of humanity. Now, let me get back to plain English. Bernie Sanders says, jobs for all. Nobody debates, jobs for all. Free college. Nobody debates, free college. 
Free health care. It's a right. Can't debate that. Family leave. What are you against? Women? Husbands? Children? Expand Social Security. People on Social Security don't get enough money. Who can argue with that? So the point is, the ends, the end goal, is not in dispute. It's not to be debated. It's not to be controversial. It's untouchable. We just debate over the means. And this is what is meant by positive liberty. It's not liberty at all. It's not liberty at all. This is what's taught in our college campuses. This is what's taught at our universities. This is the propaganda we get from the media in this country. This is what the Democrat Party stands for. And there is no effective force in this country. And don't give me the Republican Party. There's no effective force in this country to battle it. This ideology exists in our elementary schools, our middle schools, our high schools, and higher education. It exists in our culture, through television, through movies. It exists at every single news platform in this country, pretty much. And it is the belief system of the Democrat Party and much of the Republican Party. You cannot and must not question the progressive agenda. And the other battle, the other side, negative liberty. It's a bad name, but that's what it is. Negative liberty, that is, liberty without all these intrusions. Liberty without all these masterminds. You're backwards. You're old school. You're a throwback. You even get this from pseudo-intellectuals who claim to be intellectuals within the conservative movement, who write books, who write columns, who give speeches. People who defend negative liberty. People who defend the debate over the ends that the, that the progressives promote are dismissed. They don't get great book reviews. They don't get awards by the, from the Bradley Foundation. They aren't acknowledged by their peers. They're dismissed as kooks. And it is they who understand liberty better than anybody else. Hope I didn't bore you with the last 20 minutes. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Berlin analyzed the state of mind of the motivating modern progressives. He wrote, what troubles the consciences of Western liberals is the belief Not that the freedom that men seek differs according to their social or economic conditions, but that the minority who possesses it have gained it by exploiting, or at least averting their gaze from the vast majority who do not. They believe that if individual liberty is an ultimate end for human beings, none should be deprived of it by others. Least of all, that some should enjoy it at the expense of others. Equality of liberty, not to treat others as I should not wish them to treat me, and so forth. To avoid glaring inequality or widespread misery, he says, I am ready to sacrifice some or all of my freedom. I may do so willingly and freely, but it is freedom that I am giving up for the sake of justice or equality or the love of my fellow men. What he's saying is this. The fact of the matter is, 
that when these programs are created, when these regulations are put in place, when these taxes are instituted, redistribution of wealth, centralized government, that affects your liberty. You're not getting liberty, you're losing liberty in one form or another. And I would argue that's what government is all about. Government today is not about promoting liberty, expanding liberty, ensuring liberty, but stealing liberty. And of course, dressing it up as liberty and equality. It's an interesting thing. There's a gentleman who followed Berlin, a philosopher who I'm quite a fan of. His name is Pettit. And he agreed with much of what Berlin said, but he said there's one other step that needs to be taken. Even though Berlin is correct, he says, you need to be talking about institutions when you talk about liberty. And you cannot have liberty with anarchy. You cannot have liberty with tyranny, fascism, communism, anarchy. Liberty exists in the realm of republicanism and constitutionalism. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, some people will say, Bernie Sanders will say, look at, uh, look at parts of Europe. Scandinavia, he likes to use as an example, where socialism is just so magnificent. You point to Venezuela, Bernie Sanders will say, well, they didn't do it right. They didn't do it right. So they embraced the socialist revolution in Venezuela, but now they abandoned it because they didn't do it right. But you see, they do it right in Europe. Does he have a point? Of course he doesn't have a point. Let me tell you the difference, and I've been thinking about this too. Take Venezuela, which has the largest oil reserves in the world. Did you know that? Larger than the United States, larger than Saudi Arabia, larger than Russia. The largest oil reserves in the world, it's not even close, in Venezuela. It's now a horrific police state. People are starving to death in the streets. Can't get enough food, certainly can't get medical care. But there's your uh, paradise. There's your utopia where everybody's equal except, of course, the ruling class. But everybody's equal in poverty and destitution and hunger and starvation. So that's good, right? Equality is the goal, after all. Economic equality. But why in Venezuela? But not in some of these countries in Europe. And I've given this a lot of thought, and the answer is actually quite simple. Those countries that most aggressively abandon capitalism and private property rights are the poorest countries. They become the most destitute countries. They become police states in one form or another. Those countries that retain elements, if not more, of capitalism, use capitalism 
to fund socialism for as long as they can. But even that won't work forever. Because socialism eventually will devour capitalism. Because what does socialism have that capitalism doesn't have? What does socialism have that capitalism doesn't have? The state. Socialism is about the state, the government, dictating things, redistributing things, moving things around. Capitalism is about individuals. Organized as businesses or not. So socialism has the state. Socialism has law. The power of law is a powerful thing. So in the end, even these countries will suffer significantly if they do not embrace more and more capitalism and reject more and more socialism. You saw in our own country. Our own country is a quasi-socialist, quasi-capitalist country at this point. That's why I laugh at people. What what are you, an ideologue? You support free markets? Really, don't worry about it. We don't have free markets. We have semi-free markets. And the battle is over that. Just how free can they be? Just how free can they be? And so when you had Reagan roll into office, he fought for more capitalism and less socialism. He fought for more, quote-unquote, negative liberty against, quote-unquote, positive liberty. And in doing so, there was an enormous economic boom and expansion like the country hadn't seen since the Industrial Revolution. 25 million jobs created. Eight years of Reagan, four years of Bush, right into the Clinton years, eight years of Clinton. Massive economic growth. You had GDP growth in some quarters over 7%, almost 8%. We haven't seen anything like it since, and we may never. Business creation like we've never seen before. They called it trickle-down, and they were right. It trickled down, and it created massive economic growth for all Americans, regardless of the Marxist classifications we give ourselves. But when we don't do that, we are devoured more and more by socialism. And eventually, as in Venezuela, it's Marxism flat out. And you get these different forms of these police states. You can call it communist, you can call it fascist, call it whatever you want. You and I, we cannot choose the kind of health care policy we want. We get one, two, three choices. That's it. That's not freedom. And yet, on the left, they argue that's absolutely freedom. Look at this. We have three policies. Everybody gets, uh, this is the kind of policy you can have. Nobody's left out. Isn't that wonderful? No, it's not wonderful. I don't want those policies. I want my old policy back. I want to make individual choices. No, you don't get to do that. Okay, there's your negative and positive liberty. But remember what I said, they have the state behind them. So, Bernie Sanders says, everybody should have a job. If there aren't jobs out there, the federal government should give that to them. That's not liberty. 
And yet Bernie Sanders would argue that it is. It's a bastardization of liberty, but that's what he would argue. And let me say this so the recorders over there at Media Matters can pick it up. There's a fine line between Bernie Sanders' ideology and flat-out fascism. You can call it communism. I don't care how we, how we color it. It just is what it is. There's a very fine line. He talks about, well, we'll just tax the rich. We'll tax the rich. You can't tax the rich enough. You can take every penny they have, whatever we mean by rich. I don't even know what we mean by rich. But you can take every penny they have. You can take every penny all of us have. And we can't pay the debt. I'm not even talking about income. I'm talking about assets. We can't fund our unfunded liabilities. And yet Bernie Sanders wants to expand them, all of them, and create new ones. And so I I think guys like Bernie Sanders have a godlike complex. They have a godlike complex. And they're the Pied Piper, and people will follow them. Why not? Don't you want health care? Don't you want a job? Don't you want to go to college? Well, Bernie has the answers. But in the end, Bernie is all about iron-fisted government. And you and I are not. I hope I've made some sense of this for you. And notice more and more, as we abandon capitalism and private property rights, as we abandon the Declaration and the whole notion of natural rights and unalienable rights, as we abandon our constitutional system, and more and more we look over our shoulder at what it used to be, notice one other thing. What happens to the rule of law? What happens to judges? How do they rule? The rule of law. What happens? Becomes the rule of government, not the rule of law. The Bill of Rights comes under attack. Aspects of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, parts of the Fourth and Fifth, always the Ninth and Tenth. The whole structure of the Constitution comes under attack just as the progressives intended. You know, Hegel, even though he was German, and uh, Marx, German, and a lot of these ideologies come out of Germany, Hegel used to mock the constitutional government. He mocked it. He mocked the idea of separation of powers. Woodrow Wilson mocked separation of powers. Barack Obama mocked separation of powers. Why? Because as the framers believed, and Justice Scalia once pointed this out in a great speech, separation of powers is really the key factor that keeps us free as a society. And yet it's under attack all the time. All the time. Johnny, Carson, California, 870 The Answer. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay. Good. Hey, Mark, I want to know, why are the reaction party? Why aren't we sticking our ideas down? I am not a spokesman for the Republican Party, sir. Why aren't we, why aren't we taking our ideas and make them eat it? 
Why are we always saying, hey, look. And what do you mean by we? Who is we? Who are we? Who are we? Well, we're conservatives. No, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm saying. When you talk in. uh, When you don't talk about you personally or the individual personally, you talk about we, we, we. You can call a show like this, hang up the phone, and then go off, do whatever you want, put it all out of your mind, and so forth. It's not about we. It's about each individual doing something, saying something, trying to affect change, trying to affect the way people think. That's why I ask you, what do you mean by we? Well, who, who, I, who are we? I, well, I want to affect the way liberals think. I'm, well, I can't okay. worry about the way liberals think. There's a lot of people out there who are not liberals, but are not necessarily uh, constitutional conservatives. It is they who we need to speak to, like our children, like our grandchildren. Do you spend time with your children and grandchildren to teach them? Yes, of course. And what do you teach them? Well, I teach them how to stick up for themselves and how to be a part of the American dream as an individual. Do you teach them about our principles? Well, yes, out straight out of the Constitution. But here's Beautiful. My point. Why, why are we not? Here we saying, go. Why aren't we taking more control over the conversation and saying this is what we're doing? And well, it- let, let me play this out with you. And how would you have we do this? Oh, well, you have a great mouthpiece. Okay, forget about me. How would you have we do this? Well, I mean, how do I do it? No, no, no. You see, I do this every day. You said we need to do this. We need to do that. I'm trying to expose how this is a meaningless point. We, we, we. Who, the Republican Party? Who, the neighborhood? Who, the, uh, the uh, I, I don't know, the, uh, what, the Knights of Columbus? Who, who are we? No, listen, you, had, you, you hit the nail on the head not long ago when you said um, that, these, uh, that the media, when they're attacking Trump, they're attacking us. They are attacking you. You kept saying they're attacking you. Right. And that struck me because it was you're right every attack on president trump is an attack but sir sir this isn't about trump what i'm talking about is what's going on in our classrooms what's going on in our churches what's going on in our synagogues what's going on in the various clubs and associations what's going on in our neighborhoods what's going on in every aspect of society it's not about trump and the republicans and this that and that's related but i'm talking about this whole ideology that started long before Trump was born and how it has uh, and how it's now festering throughout our society. And my answer to you, Johnny, is this. We need to inform ourselves. We need to spread the word. We need to inform our children, the people closest to us. We are an army of people. There are tens of millions of us. Our children, grandchildren, depending if you have any, they need to hear from us. They need to understand this. They're not going to get it in school. They're not going to get it in media. They're not going to get it at the movies. They're not going to get it in, the, in video games. It, it's up to us to teach the next generation. Do you understand my point? I do understand your point. So here's the thing. We have an election that's coming up in six months away. The way that you are starting it is by making sure that everything that they are doing is against us. And what you are talking about is individual people, but when you frame it that way, you incite people to get the idea to move forward in our direction. Our, by meaning Mark Levin speaks 
about ideas. I, I agree in the short term, but I'm talking long term here. Okay. But Johnny, very good discussion. I appreciate it, buddy. We'll be right back. Lovin. By the way, some of you are curious. Sunday's show on Fox with Dr. Peter Pry was a fantastic show. And you apparently loved it. We slaughtered CNN in overall viewers and in the demographic. We slaughtered, even worse, MSNBC. You won't read this on any websites. You won't read it anywhere because it's a Sunday show. But I want you to know, 10 p.m. Sunday on Fox has changed. 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And that's why I'm convinced there's a lot of smart people in my audience And they don't like being talked down to. And they get a little tired of ping pong. And you are hungry for information, hungry for knowledge, hungry for interesting people that have an effect or could have an effect on your society. You're very impressive, my audience. You're very, very impressive. Here I am talking philosophy at 6 to 7 at night on the East Coast, the middle of drive time, same with the West Coast, middle of drive time, and you tune in. And you want to know more. And you want to discuss these things. You hear the same thing over and over. You don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. And I don't blame you, neither do I. I'm a professional talk radio show listener and a quasi-professional host. I just don't do things the way other people do things. It's not better. It's not worse. It just is what it is. You know, it's time to give your bathroom the cleaning it deserves. Get rid of all the junk that's lying around. Freshen it up with high-quality products from Dollar Shave Club. Have you joined Dollar Shave Club yet? Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. Razors, shave butter, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything. I get an amazing high-quality shave using my Dollar Shave Club Executive Razor. Do you have one of those yet? And their Dr. Carver's Shea Butter, it's fantastic. It goes on clear so you actually see where you're shaving. And since DSC delivers everything to you, you, you don't have to set foot in a store wandering the aisles hunting for razors, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, none of it. Clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today. And for just $5 with free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shea butter and body cleanser. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. It's that simple. dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. Got one minute left for Lance, Galloway, New Jersey, the great WFPG. Go! A gracious good evening, Mark. Thank you for the philosophy and the positivism. I was just laughing about how Bernie Sanders wants to offer everybody a chance to become indentured servants. <laughs> Where the hell is the chance to actually discover what it means to have a work ethic and apply your own initiative 
and willingness to do something and reap the dignity from it. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I appreciate your call, Lance. It's a very good point. Do we really want America remade and transformed into Bernie Sanders' idea, who's been an old-time leftist his entire life? A throwback to the 1960s? Is that what we want, ladies and gentlemen? Because that's what he offers. And not only him, a whole conga line of Democrats, many a lot younger than him. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I have an idea, folks. Maybe we ought to start talking like the Democrats. No, I don't mean incoherently and babbling on. I mean, they keep talking about impeaching Trump. I think we ought to be talking about expelling Schumer from the Senate. They have no basis, none, for impeaching Trump. Some people will tell you, well, it's a political act so they can impeach somebody for whatever they want. That's not the intention of the impeachment clause. It never has been the intention of the impeachment clause. It's a non-legal, non-legal procedure, but it's still a constitutional procedure. And as a constitutionalist, there are histories behind these provisions. And they should be embraced. But if this is the way it's going to be, ladies and gentlemen, let me be the first to say, if they want to continue to talk about impeaching Donald Trump, we should be talking about expelling Chuck Schumer. I mean, he's done nothing but obstruct the Senate's role when it comes to the, uh, the appointment process for the executive branch. His purpose is to cripple a duly elected president and his administration. He's made repeated assaults on the First Amendment. Plenty of reasons to expel Chuck Schumer. Well, Mark, we've never done that for that before. Well, right. And we've never impeached a president just because people don't like him. So let me repeat it. If they want to impeach Trump, we want to expel Schumer. That's all. You know, uh, I want to give you example number 412,000 of how the media are loaded with left-wing hacks. The Praetorian Guard media. A couple of times now I have told you how the media are going after Hannity. First, they start boycotting him. Now they've gone after his businesses. Before that, they went after his relationship with this Michael Cohen, which is perfectly legitimate by every account. You've got a little dope over there by the name of Brian Stelter over at CNN who gets no ratings, but he likes talking to himself. Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper comes out with a book. They want to interview him all over the place. NPR, Parade Magazine. I don't know how these guys don't sell a million copies, and they never do. And they never do. They're welcome with open arms. 
And I have my beloved audience. Thank goodness for that. I am deeply blessed. But back to the attacks on Hannity. There's a story that's been bouncing around, and I've been watching this for the last two or three days, waiting to see when the other shoe will drop, and there is no other shoe. It involves a radical, left-wing, very nasty, in my view, host at MSNBC by the name of Joy Reid. She had a big write-up, and it was either the New York Times or the Washington Post, and of course they, they celebrate her. She's a former radio talk show host. Very leftist. Now, there's some questions about things that she blogged several years back. Pretty nasty stuff. Let's start this. Here's a Fox post, and I've been waiting for Brian Stelter to cover this. I've been waiting for Jake Tapper. I've been waiting for Morning Schmo or Rachel Maddow. But nothing, nothing. MSNBC star Joy Reid raised eyebrows on Monday when she claimed that hackers planted homophobic slurs on her old website to tarnish her name. While the story has gone largely uncovered by mainstream media, like Media Matters is, of course, silent because they're a partisan hack front group, Reid's critics have questioned her explanation. Reid apologized last year when homophobic comments she made prior to landing a gig at MSNBC were unearthed by a Twitter user and reported by Mediaite. But on Monday, Mediaite reported that Reid blamed an unknown external party, quote-unquote, for a newly found, uh, excuse me, for a newly uncovered batch of anti-gay comments that popped up on archived images of her old blog. Mediaite's Caleb Ekarma also explained Reid's archives on the Wayback Machine, an Internet archiving service, mysteriously disappeared in December after her initial homophobic rhetoric was exposed. The service says Reed wanted the archives removed and her lawyer contacted the site last December. The Wayback Machine posted a blog entry on Tuesday, which by my account is today, denying that tampering or hacking of Reed's site happened on the archive version. The company also says it denied a request from Reed's attorney to remove her archives because her claim that the site included fraudulent content was not sufficient enough to verify claims of manipulation. In other words, they are very doubtful. They are disbelieving of her claim that hackers came in there and put up these homophobic comments. However, someone figured out a way to remove the archives on Reed's behalf by adding a robots.txt exclusion to her site, the company explained. Reed's claim regarding the point of manipulation is still unclear to us, the Wayback Machine wrote. The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald pointed out that Reed's claim is a bizarre story that liberal outlets are ignoring. He provided several verified comments written by Reed that, quote, square quite consistently with the newly discovered writing that she denies. Mocking people on gender grounds, referring to men she suspects as gay as miss, or implying they are trans for the sake of mockery, is a longtime Reed tactic, Greenwald wrote. Webster University cybersecurity program lead Paul Frazier told Fox News that Reed's story is technically possible 
but could easily be verified. He said, to prove that they were not her remarks will require her to hire a certified cyber forensics expert who has the capability, physically and legally, to seize the file server hosting her blog and then run a series of forensic programs to determine what computer the posted comments were made from, Frazier explained. Not too difficult a task, as long as you have the training, the tools, and the legal access to the server. MSNBC did not immediately respond when asked if Reed would hire a cyber forensics expert. Frazier said that until someone does this forensic look, people will simply have to take Reed's word. Unfortunately for the MSNBC star, a lot of people seem to be skeptical of her story. Certainly not in the media, by the way. Certainly not at CNN or MSNBC or ABC, CBS or NBC. Columbia University computer science professor Stephen Belovin told Fox News that it's impossible to render any opinion on whether or not the claim is plausible or not without technical details that Reed has not provided. She needs to provide proof beyond a statement that these slurs were fabricated and added without her permission or the questions will only continue to grow, Newsbusters managing editor Chris Hawk told Fox News. Greenwald followed up his story by tweeting that Reed's claim that these newly discovered, horribly bigoted posts are fake needs to be verified. Free Beacon reporter Alex Griswold doesn't buy Reed's story either and took a series of jabs on Twitter. Oddly, NBC seems to be insisting that the photographs circulating are photoshops, while Reed seems to be saying they were actually hosted on her site. But she was hacked, Greenwald wrote. Got to get these stories straight, guys. BuzzFeed's Joe Bernstein tweeted, Reed should probably produce evidence from her cybersecurity expert, quote-unquote, that hackers broke into the Wayback Machine to frame her as homophobic, as she claims. This is a very strange story, which gives me flashbacks to Anthony Weiner claiming he'd been hacked. Hot Air's John Sexton wrote before asking a series of questions. Why didn't she realize the problem before she apologized last year? Why didn't she mention that she believed the site had been hacked until this new, unflattering material was revealed? It's not only members of the media, and I would say very few, that have questioned Reed's story, but a quick search of her name on Twitter reveals that regular folks are skeptical, too. It goes on. Greenwald, Greenwald has a theory on why most of Reed's Critics are from conservative-leaning news organizations, while mainstream outlets, including CNN and the New York Times, haven't touched it. Now, that's strange wording. CNN and the New York Times are not mainstream. They're leftists. He said the reason liberal news sites are ignoring the story is as self-evident as it is troubling, because Reed's ideology is in accordance with theirs, and they therefore don't care if she's lying or telling the truth, when denying authorship of these bigoted articles, nor do they care about the anti-LGBT bigotry itself, Greenwald wrote. MSNBC did not respond to multiple requests for comment. The Daily Beast, where Reed is a contributor, did not immediately respond. But they're all over Hannity. They're all over Hannity. Will there be a boycott effort on the left against Joy Reid? Will there be a boycott effort led by Media Matters, MoveOn.org, Think Progress, any of the Soros groups? No. Will this be a focus 24-7 on CNN or MSNBC? No. 
Will people call into the question, into question liberal media? No, of course not. Nope. Will there be a broad brush painted? No. Nope. nope. Will somebody ask MSNBC to discipline Joy? No, no, that won't happen. It's not going to happen. Jake Tapper, silent. Wolf Blitzer, silent. Don Lemon, silent. The Morning Schmo and soon-to-be Mr. Schmo, silent. Chris Matthews, silent. Rachel Maddow, silent. Lawrence O'Donnell, silent. It's awfully quiet around here. I don't know if this is true or not. But shouldn't the media want to know? Apparently not. Wonder what kind of investments she must blow in. talked her in my life, never watched her on TV, have no interest in just another left-wing kook with predictable comments. Uh, that isn't even my point. My point is the coverage. The coverage. The way Joy Reid is not covered, despite the allegations, and despite her refusal and the refusal of MSNBC and the parent, NBC and the parent of that, Comcast, to go ahead and find the appropriate forensic people to dig into whether or not her blog site, her website, had been hacked over the years by uh, homophobic hackers, or whether those comments were actually hers. And then people can draw their own conclusions. But this will, this will just go away, it'll be swept under the rug. Because it's MSNBC and Joy Reid. If it had been Fox and Laura Ingram, you'd have a different result. Wouldn't you? And you'd have boycotts and so forth. Or if Joy Reid had been a conservative on conservative talk radio, can you imagine? We'd have members of Congress commenting on it. Wanting to regulate talk radio. But Joy Reid slides. For the very reason this other radical, Greenwald, says. Because she's a leftist. And they don't want to question a leftist over there at CNN. They don't want to question their colleague over there at MSNBC. They'd much rather talk about Sean Hannity. Or Donald Trump. Or the guy who's been nominated to the VA. No, they don't want to talk about this. And the left-wing groups, the LGBT groups, and so forth. Relatively silent, are they not? I've not heard a whole lot from them. I haven't seen any boycotts. I haven't seen anyone calling for her head. I haven't seen any statements from MSN. Did MSNBC put out a statement and say, we'll get to the bottom of this? Did they have to hire lawyers to deal with potential civil rights issues? How come we don't know about Joy Reid and the people she works with, the people she hires? Has she ever hired a homosexual? Has she ever worked with a homosexual? What has she done? 
Well, these are the kinds of questions that would be asked. The shoe on the other foot. Again, the media are disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I don't know Joy Reid, but her colleagues know her over at MSLSD. They know her over at CNN. There's a lot of people who know her, just because I don't. But they don't want to know about this, or they don't want to talk about this, do they? No, they don't. But they want to know what kind of real estate investment Sean Hannity has. I don't care what kind of real estate investment Sean Hannity has. Not unless Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper and Don Lemon and all the rest of the conga line over there at CNN or the morning schmo and the soon-to-be Mrs. Schmo and Chris Matthews and his liberal Democrat wife and all the rest of them tell us about their investments and their holdings and what real estate they have and on and on and on. Let's apply it to everybody. We should know who all their lawyers are. That's the new test. That's the new test. But the left doesn't live by the test that they impose on everybody else. They don't and they won't. And yet, there's Joy Reid. Seems to me, whoever uncovered this has this dead to rights. And she can deal with it quite easily. But she doesn't want to. Get a forensic expert in there. No comment. Her bosses over at MSNBC. No comment. No comment? What kind of an answer is that? We're not talking about the Fifth Amendment. The criminal prosecution. She's a broadcaster. Oh, well. Let us go to Mary Beth, Cleveland, Ohio, on the Mark Levin app. One minute, go. Hey, Mark, how are you tonight? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, just going back a little bit, you were chatting about uh, our, our friend, friend, friendly Marxist Bernie Sanders, um, going out there promoting all this wonderful free stuff and world of utopia. And I, and you mentioned in the school systems, you know, they pray and use this term social justice under the guise of charity. And they prey upon young, innocent minds and uh, get them when they're young and then and, and warp the minds, mm-hmm. and that's what they believe. And I see it, and I'm a practicing Catholic, and I see it, uh, especially under the leadership of this new pope. Well, you know, ma'am, if you're a practicing Catholic, you wouldn't get confirmed for anything with the Democrats in the Senate. You are aware of that, right? Yeah, you got that, that's for sure. Yeah, but you'd I, be called a fundamentalist. We had a caller... Last night, call people like you fundamentalists. I'll be right back. Some hosts talk about the news. Mark Levin influences the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. You know, you can help put a pocket copy of the Constitution in the hands of every public high school and middle school student in the country. And why wouldn't you want to help with that effort? Especially since Hillsdale College is spearheading this ambitious project. Many of you have taken one of Hillsdale College's free online courses on the Constitution, economics, history, and freedom. Others have attended the free regional events Hillsdale sponsors around the country. Some of you benefit from Hillsdale's free work with charter schools. 
Hillsdale does these things as part of their mission to help all Americans pursue truth and defend liberty, to help Americans become better citizens, to preserve freedom. Now they're reaching out to public schools by sending a copy of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence to every middle and high public school principal in America, along with an offer to provide free copies for every one of their students. Learn how you can help in this historic effort to reach America's youth with truth and how you can own your own copy of Hillsdale's Pocket Constitution. You can keep it or give it away at levinforhillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Let's take a call. Russell, making Georgia serious satellite. Go. Hey, Mark. Uh, How are you? conservative here. Yes, sir. Um, and I think that the liberal standards should be applied in the Joy Reid case. Mm-hmm. Uh, like where David Hogg uh, calls for boycotts everywhere. I think that a boycott is necessary in this case of a gay liberal uh, uh, news figure, uh, such as I think the best person to pick would be Rachel Maddow, that her Mm -hmm. sponsors should be boycotted, or maybe Comcast should be boycotted until she is forced to comment on Joy Reid. You could pick, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper or Don Lemon, too, as they're gay, but I think since Rachel's an MSLSD, that she should be picked. She's the best target. Well, I'm not going to lead any boycott, but uh, it is utterly, uh, the hypocrisy is utterly disgusting. No question about it. All right, Russell, thank you for your call. Much appreciated. Mike in Melbourne, Florida, the great WMMB. Go. Hello, Mr. Levin. This is truly an honor. I'm a thank you, sir. I'm, I'm a longtime listener. I consider you to be the voice of the founders in our modern day. And I've read uh, all of your books. And thank I you. I your show religiously. And thank God we have you out there. Please don't let anything happen to you. Take care of yourself. Well, there's uh, there's there's one guy in particular who likes smearing me, but his day will come. because I'm, Yeah, well, I'm talking about your health. You take I care of I will expose health. that person, and uh, the nation will know. Uh, my health, I've been doing pretty well. Thank you, my friend. We need we need you, Mark. Don't, don't get sick, please. Anyway, I got a simple question. I already know the answer, but I think yes, it sir. needs to be asked. Uh, define the middle class. I mean, yep. To me, it, it's, it's just a Marxist, nebulous term uh, used to demonize whoever you perceive as having more than you do. And I'll uh, just leave it to you after that, Mr. Levin. Thank All right, Mike, it is a great point. This so-called class structure does not exist in America. It's never existed. Now, the leftists insist on it, but it doesn't exist. They think there's a class structure based on wealth. They think there's a class structure based on race that does not exist. There are many poor white people in this country, as there are many poor people of color. There are many more people in this country who aren't poor of all colors, backgrounds. And, of course, you have people trying to get over our border, and most of them are not even coming from Europe. They're coming from south of the border. And, and many of them from the African continent and Southeast Asia, trying to escape one hellhole after another. I can't say I blame them, but we have our laws too, and we have our rules too. Class. What is the middle class? And I wrote about this in Liberty and Tyranny. Again, I'll give you the example. And there are many. 
let's say there's a farmer out there, and there are many, and let's take a male farmer, and he's married, has three children. The farm maybe is uh, 1,000 acres. They grow whatever they grow. They raise whatever they graze. Let's say in the end, with the equipment and all the rest of it, that farmer nets $100,000. Let's say there's a paralegal. Let's say it's a single lady. She's been a paralegal four or five years for one of the biggest law firms in the country. Let's say the law firm's in Manhattan. And she earns $100,000 a year. Nets $100,000 a year, I should say. So the farmer nets 100000 and she nets 100000 He has three kids and his spouse. The paralegal is single, but has to live in Manhattan, which is very, very expensive. Those two examples couldn't be any different, could they? They couldn't be any different. One is a rural farmer who owns a lot of land but nets $100,000 and he has three children and a spouse. The other is a person who lives in one of the most expensive parts of the world, doesn't own anything. Let's say she has an apartment and no kids and no spouse. They're both said to be in the middle class. These class nomenclatures are inherited from Marx and his ilk, the proletariat, the bourgeoisie, and so forth and so on. And they are very destructive of a society. And you can see how politicians use them. I'm for the middle class. Can you define it? Well, not really. And everybody thinks they're in the middle class, except the super rich. Well, I'm in the middle class. How so? Well, I'm a teacher. And my wife is, let's say, a police officer. And I'm 50-something, and she's 50-something, and we're we're pretty much at the top of the level in terms of payment. We're both members of a union, and we pull and say, together little over $200,000 a year, not counting health benefits and pensions and so forth. Wow, you're rich. No, we're not rich. Well, to the guy earning $43,000 a year, that's rich. And the politicians play off this. So we're always grouped. We're grouped by race. We're grouped by income. We're grouped by wealth. And now we're grouped, of course, by skin color. Oh, white privilege. And more and more were grouped by genitalia. What you do with your genitalia, or if you change your genitalia. And this is the left. And this is inherited from Marxism, and, and it exploits the people who live in a society. You balkanize a society. You create groupthink in a society. And you turn people against each other, based largely on physical appearances and also uh, religion. 
So the gentleman who called is, is exactly right. And so this whole class thing, you know, I, I, tell, I say it over and over again, is really repulsive. And then you hear Paul Ryan, you know, we're really here cutting taxes for the middle class. Now, the rich, we're going to stick it to them, but the middle class, they don't talk about individual citizens. They don't talk about work ethic. When's the last time a politician talked about the work ethic? When's the last time? Bernie Sanders is talking about a job for everybody. How about work ethic? No, nah, I can't. What are, you, what are you, racist? No, no, I said everybody. Yeah, but we know what you meant. It's implicit. It's implicit. Let us go to Mike, Jersey City, New Jersey, the great WABC. How are you, Mike? Hey, Mark. How you doing? It's an honor. Thank you, buddy. In the 10 years I've been listening to you and reading your books, I've learned uh, more than I could have dreamed about the Constitution and the founding of this country, and I've, I've learned to revere it and, and cherish it. Because Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, I was uh, want, I wanted to call about the uh, Mr. Berlin and his, uh, his philosophy, because I think you played a clip some years ago where Barack Obama was referring to our Bill of Rights as a set of negative liberties mm-hmm. that outlined uh, what the government can't do uh, to us. Correct. Rather than uh, a set of positive liberties outlining what the government must do on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could, if, if I'm on, if I'm on the right page there, remembering that. Well, you might be. Uh, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. But I wouldn't be surprised because Obama understood this stuff. He was on the wrong side, but he understood this stuff. Mitch McConnell doesn't comprehend one damn whit of it. Right. And uh, most of the Republicans don't. They go through the motions and do their thing. But but when you look at these Democrats, Kamala Harris, it's not that they're bright. They're not bright, but they're ideologues. You look at uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren— they know who Hegel is. They know who Marx is. They know what I'm talking about, historic, historical materialism and, and on and on. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're big believers. You talk to Mitch McConnell, you hey, you know what? We're bipartisanship. You know, that's the difference. That's right. Well, I think even if you watch uh, what's going on on CNN and MSNBC, these, these newscasters, I mean, some of them, I guess, are are true believers or whatever it is like you've discussed before, but I think a lot of them know that uh, most of their listening audience isn't going to do the research. They're just, uh, they're, they're malleable. And they use that, um, I would say, ignorance in order to shape their opinion about... Uh, no, I think this is an excellent point. And, and, and most of all, uh, I remember when uh, MSNBC was considered a news outlet you know, a, a an appendage to NBC, and you can see that they made a a corporate decision uh, to appeal to the most radical uh, leftist elements in society, and they have succeeded in that respect. That's their niche. CNN came about later. Uh, they were struggling in their ratings, but they had decided, you know what, we're going to be a straight-up news operation, and they're never really that straight-up, but straight enough. And so um, they made a decision under this guy, Zucker, I guess his name is, uh, to move hard left and to try and get that audience. So they're really competing with MSNBC. They're not competing with Fox. But this is why you see the hosts on CNN and MSNBC constantly trashing people on Fox. And the more successful the host, the more they trash the person. 
And we talked about Hannity. You know who else they trashed? This guy, Charles Blow, who is a blowhard who writes for the New York Slimes. He attacked Fox and Friends. You see, Ducey's stupid, and Kilmeade's Ducey is stupid, and the other one's stupid. Everybody's stupid on Fox and Friends. And yet they're not. They're actually very sharp, but they're very enjoyable to watch. They're very entertaining. They're compelling. But they hate them because Trump likes them. So you, you, you have these constant attacks on these hosts, constant attacks on these programs, digging into their personal lives, digging into their personal investments, trying to make these, uh, these outrageous allegations about conflicts of interest and so forth and so on. What the hell do we know about any of their investments? What do we know about any of their lawyers? These are intentional investigations funded by these news outlets to try and take out their competition. I've never seen anything like it. All right, my friend, excellent call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, CRTV was conceived and is a conservative digital TV network. It's got over a dozen hosts who work hard every day to bring you substantive and entertaining programming. And those hosts have staff and they have crew who do the same thing. It's not easy. It's not easy to be a host of a digital TV show. It's not easy to do it day in and day out. But once you get the hang of it, it's a lot of fun, and it's very rewarding. It's difficult to start a small business and to try and grow it and deal with all kinds of personalities. It really is. Most of the people I've known as hosts on CRTV work very, very hard. And they put in the time because they want to provide you with the very best show they possibly can. That's what I do on Levin TV, which is one of a dozen programs offered by CRTV. We have hosts like Phil Robertson, wonderful guy. Steven Crowder, wonderful guy. Andrew Wilkow, I've known him forever, wonderful guy. And many, many more. And CRTV is the conservative review TV, digital TV site that I hope you'll Participate in. All you have to do is you get 30 days free and you can check it out yourself. Make your own decision. And of course, we come under attack all the time. All the time. But that's the nature of conservatism. We're not afraid of being called conservatives. We're quite proud of it. And we're very collegial. Wonderful, wonderful colleagues. So I hope you'll check it out. It's different. Not the same thing you see every day. It's better than that. It's better than that. So a lot of people have spent a lot of time building the foundations of this operation. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of investment. And of course, without you, none of it matters. So every day we're providing a platform for conservative voices that the liberal mainstream media won't allow in their networks. And we're providing a home for free thought and the exchange of ideas. 
Try us out for 30 days, as I said, absolutely free. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take anybody's word for it. Check it out yourself. Use promo code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N, and you will save $10 off an annual pass. Give us a call at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. We'll get you all set up. That's 844-LEVIN-TV, and yes, our hosts are patriots. Our hosts want to provide you with the programming they promise. And they do a hell of a job. And so do my crew and staff, and I'm always thanking them for what they do. Give us a call, 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. Again, 30 days, absolutely free. Check it out yourself. I hope you will. All right, let's take a look here. Let us go to Chase, Lovett, Texas, Sirius Satellite. How are you? Mark, it is an honor to speak to you. Uh, I've been listening to you since uh, probably 2007, 2008. Been trying to call, never gotten in. It's an honor. Uh, I won't keep keep you long as I know you're close to a hard break. But uh, I'm an Air Force veteran, uh, Iraqi Freedom Wow, we uh, salute you here, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everything you do uh, for getting the word out to to everybody, you know, on all these issues. But uh, I'm just so dang angry um, with how the the Guardian is uh, what I call a hatchet job or maybe a a left-wing hit job on on your, your friend Sean Hannity. And I just wanted to, I haven't, listen to a lot of your show today I haven't, uh, but I just wanted to if you talked about it I apologize but well we talked you, about you it the other look I got a heartbreak don't hang up thank you for your service I want to give you a, a free subscription annual subscription to CRTV I know you're going to enjoy don't hang up sir but thank you we'll be right back From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, You know... Watching the President of the United States with these various foreign leaders, I have to say, he does a better job working with these foreign leaders than Obama ever did. They thought he was cold, that is Obama, a know-it-all, and so forth. You can see the, the true friendship that has developed between Macron, the President of France, and our President. You see it also... With the uh, president, or maybe it's prime minister of Japan, Abe, and the president. Even see it with this corrupt, genocidal maniac. Well, anyway, this guy Xi in China. You see it with Netanyahu and the president. I mean, it's amazing. They keep trashing Trump. And yet, look at the foreign policy area. I mean, he has been incredible. When it comes to foreign policy, absolutely incredible. By any standard. 
by any standard as far as I'm concerned. Now, they're coming here to lobby the president, among other things, to uh, give up his desire to get rid of the Iran deal. The Iran deal is unconstitutional, in my view. It should have been a treaty. It should have been submitted to the Senate. None of that happened. Bob Corker, who's all over TV again, the Republican chairman of the Senate Foreign uh, Policy Committee or Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, he greased the skids for this outrageous deal with the backing of Mitch McConnell. They would never stand up to Obama. And so a few billion dollars went to Iran in exchange for hostages. No investigation there. Ransom. I remember we had the Iran-Contra affair. That never ended. And of course, the big money, about $150 billion from all sources, wound up in Iran. And uh, at no point was Iran told it had to stop its terrorist activity. At no point was it told it had to stop uh, toppling governments in the region. No, 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 no. And by a date certain, Iran can institute its nuclear plans. It's a horribly defective deal. There was a uh, reporter over there, Politico, Josh Meyer, right, Mr. Producer? Wasn't that his name? We never hear from him anymore. I don't even see him writing anymore. Maybe he does on something insignificant. He wrote two unbelievable articles on how the Obama administration basically had these secret deals on the side, horrific deals, in order to get the big deal done. These were long, in-depth, well-investigated and researched articles, which is why I guess Politico... uh, doesn't feature him very much because most of their stuff is crap. Anyway. So the president of France is here lobbying our president. Just fix the deal, they say. We'll make it better. And this is, of course, pressure he's getting from rhinos in the, uh, in the Senate and the House. To, Just fix it. Make it better. Uh, Merkel... Uh, the longtime head of Germany, she will be in the country doing the same thing. The European Union insists on this too, and I, I would just hope the president will stand his ground and get rid of this crap. Get rid of this deal and have a plan ready to go afterwards. I'm reading in the Free Beacon by our buddy Adam Crato. The headline is Trump administration to grant Iran missiles capable of destroying Israel. That's pretty outrageous. And if they're capable of destroying Israel, they're capable of destroying Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Egypt and all these countries aligned against Iran. So this is a very serious matter. If true. If accurate. I'm going to hold my fire here and hope the president will stand firm. And how do you enforce that? What is a short-range, mid-range ICBM anyway? And how do you stop the Iranians from cheating on that? You can't. And Senator Cruz has uh, said that Obama's Iran nuclear deal was fatally fraught fraught from the beginning, that the the deal required reckless international concessions, incentivized the international community to turn a blind eye to the Iranian bad behavior. And he said these proposed European fixes, so-called, don't address the missiles Iran would actually build, the inspection problems that would actually arise, 
or the eventual sunsets as they would actually occur. They would only constrain the Iranians from doing things they never would have done. Now, the president should reject this. And I'm hoping he does. He's got a couple good advisors there. I hope he listens to them. Quite serious. But we'll see. This isn't a deal that should be fixed. It's a deal that should be eliminated. Some things are just that bad. And frankly, I don't trust the Europeans. I don't. They have an appeasement attitude toward the Iranians, much as they do towards Russia and China and the UK and all the rest of it. The president has shown strength in this regard. And again, I hope he maintains that. Now, there was a question raised at the press conference today the president had with uh, Macron. And the question that was raised had related uh, to Iran. And I'm trying to find that cut, Mr. Producer. Do you have it here? Let's listen to cut two. Go ahead. Now, wait a minute there. Uh, sounds like a French maitre d', doesn't she, Mr. Producer? What table would you like? Uh, anyway, go ahead. Plan B, that uh, the uh, Iran deal was to be preserved. Now you're talking about a new deal with Iran. Why did you change your mind? Did you um, join the strong uh, approach suggested by President Trump? Um, is it because you could not convince him? And in addition, uh, do you think the other um, who signed the agreement, the deal, will follow you? And if I might add, they states, and as I alluded to, that in countries that are in the area, some of which are immensely wealthy, would not be there except for the United States and, to a lesser extent, France. But they wouldn't be there except for the United States. They wouldn't last a week. We are protecting them. They have to now step up and pay for what's happening. All right, let's go to cut three, please. Go ahead. The countries that are there that you all know very well are immensely wealthy they're going to have to pay no, for no, this. No, no, no. Is this cut three? Well, that's not what it says on the list here. Let's try another, the next cut, please. It just seems that no matter where you go, especially in the Middle East, Iran is behind it. Wherever there's trouble, Yemen, Syria, no matter where you have it, Iran is behind it. And now, unfortunately, Russia is getting more and more involved. But Iran seems to be uh, behind everything where there's a problem. And you just have to take a look. You look at what's happening. You look at the fighters. Uh, Iran is is always there. And uh, we're not going to allow certain things to happen that are happening. And the Iran deal is a disaster. They're testing missiles. And what is that all about? You look at the ballistic missiles that they're going and testing. Uh, What kind of a deal is it where you're allowed to test missiles all over the place? Uh, What kind of a deal is it when you don't talk about Yemen and you don't talk about all of the other problems that we have with respect to Iran, especially uh, look at what they're doing in Iraq? You just take a look at what's happening in uh, any or virtually any place in the Middle East. Iran is behind it. So what kind of a deal is this where it wasn't even discussed? And I know John Kerry made the statement that he didn't want to discuss other things while he was making the deal. Despite all of the money that we gave them, 
He didn't want to discuss it because it was too complicated. That's not the way to do it because it was too complicated. So we made this terrible deal, but we'll be discussing it. The Iranians say they'll restart their nuclear program if the deal. We'll was... find out. You'll find out about that. Are you concerned? It won't about be that? so easy for them to restart. Mr. President, are you... they're not going to be restarting anything. They restart it. They're going to have big problems, bigger than they've ever had before. And you can mark it down. They restart their nuclear program. They will have bigger problems than they have ever had before. Now, that's my president right there. Saying, don't threaten us. I'm going to restart your nuclear program. Don't threaten us. You're going to have bigger problems than you ever had. I love that. And I know the left hates it. Oh, what a warmonger. Now, they never call the Islamo Nazi runs Iran a warmonger. They never call the communist inbred who runs North Korea a warmonger. They never call that goofy KGB type who runs Russia, a warmonger. They never call Xi, who is an egomaniac, they never call him a warmonger. No, Trump's a warmonger. Because the left is nuts. But you know who he sounded like there, Mr. Producer? And I liked it a lot. John Wayne. Yes. I'll be right back. Mark in. president should be making many concessions to the Europeans to get this Iran deal. The Europeans are no better than the Obama administration. They all threw in with this Iran deal. They all agreed to the Iran deal. So uh, I would not do anything whatsoever to accommodate the Iranians. And a lot of these European countries are making an enormous amount of money dealing with Iran. You aware of that? They got all kinds of business connections that have grown out of this deal. Selling all kinds of materiel, jet aircraft, so forth and so on. So uh, they have their own uh, parochial interests that are not our interests. And I don't think we should uh, accommodate them. And I don't think we should try and quote unquote fix this. Let's go to Chris, Eureka, California, the great K-I-N-S. Go. Mark Levin, thank you so much for everything you do our country, and especially everything that you did for Ronald Reagan. You got it. Thank I, you. I called to uh, have a bone of contention with you. I heard last week on your radio when I got a chance to listen about a school child uh, and Robin Hood involved his father, parent-teacher conference. Uh, apparently the kids said that you said that Robin Hood was a socialist, and on and on and on. Did I, I, did I say that, Rich? I don't remember that. Yeah, the, the no, no I, never, I never said that. I mean, may, he may have been. But let's well, pretend I did. Let's go ahead. Well, I just wanted to correct it because I was raised by school teachers. I understand the whole deal. I've seen my whole life go by in the state of California and the state of education and everything. Robin Hood did not steal from the rich and give to the poor. Robin Hood stole from an over-oppressive, over-taxing, tyrannical, ruling class government and gave back to the people. The guy fought tyranny. All right, let's not get carried away. It's a fictional figure. You, you understand that, right? Right. But Okay, that's number one. Number two, I'm not into stealing anyway 
for any purpose. So uh, uh, I'm not sure how this came up. I don't really remember the discussion, quite frankly. But if it gets you all worked up, that's fine by me. I don't really care. I do. I, I, I care about how young, these young kids are being taught and the things that they're being told in school at such a young age, right. you know, that rich people are evil and all this. Well, let's, let's say I said all that. Well, then I'm teaching that kid, if I said what you said, he said I said, I'm teaching that kid that stealing from the rich to give to the poor is not good. And you're saying, no, no, wait a minute. Robin had stole from an oppressive government and gave to the poor. So your point is not really on point. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I absolutely hear you. All right, brother. But I appreciate it very much. God bless. Doug, Lincoln, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? I am doing great, Mr. Levin, and it's great to speak to you. Um I just want to say, after hearing the Trump comments, that was the first time I I had heard those, and uh, I'm with you. Uh, excellent words to hear from a president, and I, I, I'm the same way. <laughs> you know, he, he, <laughs> I feel the same way. He's my president, and yeah, I so and when he it. speaks like that, I know it upsets Rand Paul, but I love it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I love it, too. Listen, I, I called, and and I just wanted to say, um, you know, I've been listening since uh, I, I heard a, a clip where you kind of critiqued George Takai over the Clarence Thomas uh, uh, remarks uh, on the Man, this, that has to be a while ago. Yeah, that's kind of what turned me on to you, and that was so great. Probably one of the greatest clips I've ever heard. That was fantastic, the way you tore it apart. And... Uh, um, anyway, that kind of turned me on to listen more, and uh, I've been listening as much as I can ever since. And thank you. Uh, I, I'm trying to set this this time of the night aside for the Mark Levin show. I can't always do it, so what ends up happening is three o'clock in the morning. It's Mark Levin time. So she was. Uh, well, you're very, very kind. Uh, don't hang up. I want to send you a free one-year subscription to CRTV, Conservative Review TV, with all of our wonderful hosts. So don't hang up, Doug. Thank you. Let's go to Josh, Childress, Texas, XM Satellite. How are you? Mark, how are you doing today, sir? All right, buddy. Um, Thank you. I am. Uh, I just kind of had a, a, a comment. Earlier in the show, you had a gentleman call in about uh, how, why we've ended up the way we are and how we can go about fixing it, and uh, you grilled him pretty good on, on his version of why. My opinion is this, briefly, I do believe that as a population of this country, the American citizen, um, a majority, have become complacent with mm -hmm. their rights, responsibilities, and duties as American citizens. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we have kind of taken advantage of the way things are in this country or the way that things should be in this country and have let it slip through our fingers. Um, and as far as the how to go about making repairs or bringing things back to, um, you know, the, the center line right. here as, as right. would be to, in my opinion, um, research history, research 
other cultures and societies that have succeeded and failed and educate yourselves as much as possible. No, 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 listen, I agree with you. And that's why, um, at this point, self-education is very, very important. And there's a lot of opportunities out there that people didn't have 20, 30 years ago with the Internet, with handheld devices. You don't actually have to physically go to a library, although I personally like going to the library. Uh, there's a lot of ways to learn now, a lot of ways to get information. One of the great sites that I like, by the way, uh, and you may want to check this out, Josh, is the site of the Avalon Project, A-V-A-L-O-N, the Avalon Project. You can actually see uh, original documentation, or at least the transcription, the original transcription of original documentation of our history. And I have found that to be a very, very useful research tool, among others. So I would encourage you to check that out, too. But anyway, you're right on. All right, folks, I'll be right back. Breaking news here, ladies and gentlemen. Another federal judge, this one Judge John Bates, a Bush appointee in Washington, D.C., found the Trump administration's rescission of unconstitutional DACA arbitrary and capricious. The judge ordered the Department of Homeland Security to process new DACA applications as well as renewals, which would be a big deal. He put the order on hold for 90 days. We now have a federal judge, one federal district judge, who has ordered the President of the United States not just to freeze DACA in place, but to take in new applicants and renewals. This is, without a question, absolutely unbelievable. This is judicial tyranny. You're viewing it now. At the Supreme Court, that's right, those five justices. And that would include our friend Neil Gorsuch. We see it throughout the country now. But this one goes further than anybody else. Not only must the President of the United States, must the President of the United States uphold DACA, which was a fiat by the prior President of the United States because he couldn't get it passed by Congress. Not only must he uphold it, he must expand it to include new illegal aliens and renewals for illegal aliens at the end of the so-called temporary workers program. I could not be more disgusted. I could not hold a federal judge in more contempt. The judiciary in this country is completely and utterly out of control. We're federal district judges who are responsible to no one and responsible for nothing, can sit there and impose their personal policy views on this nation, on the President of the United States. This guy, Bates, he'll never stand for election, he'll never be held to account, and he's not alone. Since when do the courts control immigration in this country? Under Barack Milhouse Benito Obama... Justice Kennedy, writing a 5-4 decision in the Arizona case, all but handed immigration over to Obama. Now, when this president tries to reverse what Obama did, all of a sudden, it's capricious, it's arbitrary, there's due process, there's vagueness, all kinds of crap that they come up with that is not in the Constitution of the United States. Our borders are wide open. Congress is paralyzed. 
They will not secure them. The President of the United States, the courts have tied him up, making it virtually impossible to protect this nation and to uphold this culture. It is absolutely beyond belief to me what's taking place here. It's beyond belief. Arbitrary and capricious to rescind an unconstitutional fiat order by the prior president of the United States? Arbitrary and capricious? Is he out of his mind? Oh, no, you don't understand. A provision in the, in the statute, another statute that's been in existence for 30 years, all of a sudden, they find, oh, that's vague. Well, we need to deport these criminals. Oh, it's vague. We don't know what the word violence means. So we'll let our judges, lawyers in black robes, we'll let them run the country, just like Woodrow Wilson said they should. Doesn't matter who you elect for president of the United States. John Bates decided something else. And again, he's not alone. We hold elections in this country. And they don't seem to matter when our guy wins. When their guy wins, the courts uphold the whole damn thing. We've got courts reversing the president as he's trying to deregulate the regulations that Obama put in place through his radicals at the EPA. He can do whatever he wants when Trump tries to reverse him again. Well, we got due process. We got the administrative regulations we got to look at, all the rules, and so all of a sudden, rules matter. And I like the way the media phrases this. A really big loss for Trump not a big loss for Trump. It's a big loss for the American people. Everything isn't about politics, you idiots in the media, you morons. So sick of it. Well, it's arbitrary and capricious, this guy says. Gorsuch, oh, it's vague. All the conservatives, but a handful of smart ones, run to the guy's defense. Well, of course, yeah, he's the real originalist. Not Clarence, you know, not Sam. No, no, Neil's the real originalist. Ah, P.S. No, he's not. He has a perverse view of immigration law. We applies criminal law and those procedures on top of immigration law. Got it completely wrong. Like this genius in the federal district court in Washington, D.C. Oh, John Bates. Now he's ordering the President of the United States to affirmatively, to affirmatively accept new applications for DACA and renewals. It's incredible. Do you think for one second the framers of this country would have written such a constitution? Do you think for one second the states would have ratified such a constitution? Hey, you know what? The judiciary, yeah, it's the least dangerous branch. Are you kidding me? It's the most dangerous branch. I've about had it. Oh, your honor, your honor. These lawyers, these lawyers lobbying for their district court appointments, lobbying for their appellate court appointments. Then they get in, oh, your honor, oh, your honor. Let me ask you something, ladies and gentlemen. If we have federal judges in this country that don't follow the Constitution, if the rule of the law and the law of the land mean nothing to them, then why do their opinions mean anything to us? If they are going to be lawless, 
and refuse to faithfully carry out their duties, then why should anybody listen to what they have to say if lawlessness is the name of the game? I'm still sitting here amazed that a federal district court judge in Washington, D.C. orders the President of the United States to continue processing new applications and renewals on a law that is unconstitutional. It's not a law. On an executive fiat that's unconstitutional. So let me get this straight. Obama has the implied power, enormous power, to put in place something that he couldn't get through Congress. In other words, to legislate. And when the president comes in behind him, a new president, and says, no, that's not right, I'm withdrawing it. No, you can't do that. That's arbitrary and capricious. And it took this federal judge 60 pages to write this. Wow. You know, when these judges know what they're doing, it takes them 10 or 15 pages to write it. 60 pages? 60 pages of BS. <sighs> Damn infuriating, tell you the truth. Yes, I have passion. Yes, I get angry. Yes, I... That's what normal people do when judges do this sort of thing. It's disgusting, this judicial tyranny. My damn first book, Men in Black, that's what it was about. It's only gotten worse. All right. You know, when you're a mother, which of course I'm not, it's like a thousand little jobs all wrapped up into one amazing responsibility. Just think about how crazy it must be switching back and forth from trauma nurse to afternoon mathematician, from organizer-in-chief to five-star chef. The Mother's Day show her, why don't you show her how much you appreciate every job she does with this special limited-time offer from 1-800-Flowers.com. Yes, Mother's Day is coming. It's almost here. Right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, 1-800-Flowers will give you an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. That is 36 sorbet flowers for just $36. With an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, and lavender, these roses are guaranteed to make her smile. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and they're shipped overnight to ensure freshness. Don't put this off, guys. Order today. Order right now. While it's fresh in mind, 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do. 1-800-Flowers.com. To order 36 sorbet roses for only $36, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. This is important. Click the radio icon. It's up there on the right. And enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com. Code Levin. One more time, get 36 sorbet roses for only 36 bucks. If you go to 1-800-Flowers.com right now, click the radio icon, and in order to get the special, you got to enter code Levin, L-E-V-I-N. And order today and you'll save. 1-800-Flowers.com, code Levin. I, I'm sorry, folks. The, the, I'm just so furious with the, the people in these public trusts how they abuse their power, I'm just so tired of it. And my passion is from the heart and the soul. I can spend an hour 
you know, talking about philosophy, the word liberty and what it means. But ladies and gentlemen, every now and then, every now and then, the passion comes out when there's an abuse of power. Right in front of your face, there's an abuse of power, like they're rubbing our noses in it. And I don't want to hear how this guy's an original. Oh, you know what, though? He's an originalist, too. And why is that? Because we like him. Well, I don't like him at all. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Why we need Convention of States, Article 5. You got all these phony pseudo-conservative Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no. They have no idea what to do. And they reject the Constitution when they reject Article 5. It is in the Constitution, you know. Was adopted in Philadelphia. Was ratified by the states. And my proposal is that three-fifths of the House and three-fifths of the Senate together can uh, nullify a majority opinion of the Supreme Court. They can't change it. They can't add their own opinion. They have to do it within two years so there's some stability and foreseeability. But even better, I also propose that three-fifths of the state legislatures, three-fifths of the state legislatures, can nullify a Supreme Court majority opinion. I mean, the people have to get involved. I don't favor populism. I don't favor pure democracy, plebiscites, referenda. I don't support any of that. And this is not that. This is built within the representative structure. You know, ladies and gentlemen, sure, you could have harsh treatment to look younger. Now, why would you do that, by the way? Listen to Joanne from Connecticut. She said, my husband looks 10 years younger using Genesil. He saw results the first day he used it. She said, I also have had remarkable results. Can't be without it. Now, you imagine the bags and puffiness under your eyes gone. And watch those sagging, droopy eyelids disappear. That's years off your appearance. Genesel by Chaminet is an easy choice. Genesel contains natural ingredients for incredible results safely and quickly. It's as simple as that. In fact, with immediate effects, you'll see results like Joanne's in as little as 12 hours of your money back, guaranteed. And I tell you this, I have family members who use it. I've got a buddy, Teddy, who uses it, and he loves it. And he has it right there on his nightstand. How do I know? He said, come here, I want to show you something. And he showed it to me. And he does look better. Now, from now until Mother's Day, order Genesel, and you can try Chaminade's brand new Genesel Eyelid Lift for droopy, sagging eyelids absolutely free. Order now, and Chaminade will include a surprise luxury gift also free. Go to Genesel.com, Genesel.com, or call 800-SKIN-604 on our special toll-free number, 800-SKIN-604. Call now. Express shipping is also free. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or visit Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. Let's go to John in Kansas, the great K-O-I-L. Go. Well, I'm just truly honored to speak to the great one. And and the news that you just presented is the kind of the last nail in the coffin, and it it spells out that we need a states convention. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we need to we need to get control of our government because our government is totally untethered from the Constitution. And uh, this, uh, you know, you know, the truth is we've had a week now of a slew of these decisions from many of these uh, judges appointed by Republicans. And yet my dear friends at the Federalist Society thinks that we're winning. We're not winning. We're losing. And as hard as they work and as hard as the president works to get the proper people on the courts, fact is uh, we're being uh, severely harmed by a lot of these past judicial appointments by past presidents. We just are. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Let's continue, shall we? I think we shall. Uh, Let's see here. Pulling it up. Jay, Naples, Florida, the great WFSX. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark. Uh, I'm an attorney down here, practice a lot in federal court, so... um We've seen a slew of decisions coming out. They're just wild, almost as though, like, these judges, federal judges, take personal offense. And I think part of my thought is I tried to do some research on it and say, what can you do about somebody that's appointed for life? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, only thing I was able to come up with is that there's you can bring an impeachment process for judges who are no longer sitting in good behavior. Yeah, um, here's the deal. That was tried by Jefferson. Successfully, they impeached a, a justice by the name of Samuel Chase. And he was not convicted. He was not removed. And uh, Jefferson was uh, politically and publicly very badly hurt by this. There was a big debate then on whether or not you can impeach or should impeach a judge or a justice uh, because you disagree with their opinion as opposed to them having, you know, uh, Issues, ethical issues, moral issues, and, and and alike. And so, if you attempt to impeach a judge because of the kind of behavior you're talking about, of course, the left will kind of will try to do that to judges who actually uphold the Constitution. So it's a lose-lose. I think the better answer is, at least starting with the Supreme Court, we term limit them. I don't believe anymore that these uh, that many of these folks, some of them are faithful to the Constitution. I can name a few on the Supreme Court, but even there, not many. And some of them aren't. And most of them aren't. These federal district judges have gone wild. And these circuit courts are so packed with Obama judges, they've gone wild. And if that's the nature of the beast, it depends who the president is on whether or not the Constitution is going to be complied with or not, then the nature of the beast has changed uh, since the uh, adoption and ratification of the Constitution. And the nature of the beast means the beast needs to be tamed. There's only one way to do it, and that's through the Convention of States, which is why most judges oppose it. All right, Counselor? Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. All right, God bless you. Take care of yourself. You know, uh, when you look at the Constitution, it is Congress that creates the courts, other than the Supreme Court, which is created by the Constitution, although the membership of the court is not. The numbers of justices, you know, originally it was seven. Uh, fact of the matter is the circuit courts are not in the Constitution and the district courts are not in the Constitution. They are created by Congress, these various judiciary acts. There, too, is, is some place where something could be done, but the you know, but they're ineffective uh, in the Congress and they, they, they won't do anything. We salute all you heroes out there. I hope you'll check out Levin TV tonight. And I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you. <laughs>